0: Remember. Remember. Those were the words of Mufasa to Simba. In the moment that Simba hears from his father to remember that things change, he suddenly gets on to what has been true the whole time. He's the son of a king, and he has a pride to take care of. And that's exactly what he does. From that moment, there is a transition in the story. Simba goes, he chases away Scar and the hyenas, and he establishes peace in his pride. And it started from that phrase, remember. Someone once said that our lives are the sum of the experiences that we have captured in our memories. So it's very important to remember, to know who we are. But that remembering isn't just bound by who we are. This is actually God's story across time and culture and hitting us where we are. To know God's story is to know who we are. And so it's important. How has God been at work, not just in my life, but in the life of my family, not just in the life of my family, but in my community, not just in my community and state and region and country and world, and not just during this time, but in times past, because the the remembering those things point me to who I am today. And the word of God opens our eyes to that truth. Remember, remember. That's what we're going to be talking about today as we get into the Word. We'll be in 1 Kings chapter 18 in just a few moments. You may want to turn there now. And as you're turning there, I just want to take a moment and spend that time in prayer. Would you join me as we pray? Lord God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your story and how you have been at work, how you have called us to remembrance. How you have called us to know you. Because in knowing you, we know who we are. This loving, kind, amazing, glorious, beautiful, wonderful, redeeming God who loves us. Who called us to himself. Who made us in his image. Thank you for that, Lord. And as we remember the story of Elijah, we're also, and more specifically, we're remembering you. And so, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as we search your word and we find even more about who we are. It's in Jesus Christ's precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Good job. I didn't even have to tell you. You were just on it today. You're ready to go. I love it. Hey, we're going to have some interaction. And so, help me out if you would. Uh, Pastor Nathan was up here earlier, and he told the story. Let me recap it one more time. Uh, in your bags, for those of you who have those bags, get them ready, because I'm going to say some words, and as I say those words, you might want to grab a hold of those pieces that are in your bag. And Pastor Nathan, if you don't mind helping me out when I say that, if you want to just kind of hold it up and shake it, or, and when I say shake it, I mean the object, not don't shake it, Nathan, don't shake it. All right. Here we go, here we go. So there's this, uh, Elijah moves from Zarephath, uh, is called by God to meet Ahab. Ahab is the king of Israel, and Ahab, we find out, has been looking for Elijah. He does not like Elijah. Elijah called him out on his sin, and not just his sin, but the sin of the people, in worshiping another god besides the Lord. In fact, in, during that time, they incorporated both. There are areas of ancient Israel where they saw that they took Yahweh and married him to Asherah, who was one of the gods there. Terrible, terrible thing. But that's what was happening. Elijah calls him out. Uh, Ahab doesn't like it. Ahab, or I'm sorry, Elijah goes to see Ahab, and they have this spat, and the spat sounds like this. When Ahab sees Elijah, he says, oh, you're the troubler of, of Israel. And Elijah says, nuh-uh. I'm rubber, you're glue. It doesn't, it doesn't work for me. You're the, you're the troublemaker, he says. And he says, you know what? Let's, let's get together on Mount Carmel. If your parents say it's okay, you can get out your Carmel. So they go, up, they go up to Mount Carmel. And there the children of Israel gather. They gather there, and also the prophets of Baal. And Elijah confronts everybody. And in this place, he says this. How long will you go limping from one opinion to the other? In other words, how long will you try worshiping both gods? Oh, maybe Yahweh works. Mm." Maybe Baal works. Now oh, let's try Asherah. Oh, maybe God. Maybe Asherah and God. Maybe Baal and Asherah. Let's, let's just try something here. And he says, let's stop doing that. How long are you going to keep doing that? If Yahweh is God, follow him. If Yahweh is not God, if Baal is God, then follow him. And the, the mass was silent. People were quiet. They didn't respond. So then Elijah says this, Here's how we're going to discover who God is, who the God is. We're going to put out these sacrifices so they get bulls, and and they're going to sacrifice. If you have that in your bag, don't forget to get that out. And they're going to sacrifice these bulls. And he says, the God who responds with fire and consumes the offering, that is God, and that's who we should follow. And the people say, that sounds good, let's do that. I want to see this. And so the prophets of Baal, they get up there, and they start the sacrifice. And hours go by, nothing. More hours go by, and nothing. They holler louder, and nothing. And then Elijah comes out, and he says, maybe they're just not hearing you. Maybe he's on vacation, or maybe he's using the restroom. We don't know. Yell louder. And, uh, and actually, it sounds like he's mocking, and he is a little bit. But those are also stories that were consistent with Baal. So he's reminding them of the kind of God they serve. A God who can be absent. A God who's not always there. A God who's not always present. And he reminds them of that, even though he has a mocking tone. Well, uh, they start cutting themselves and yelling louder and nothing happens and eventually they quit. And so Elijah shows up and he rebuilds the altar of the Lord. And when he does it, he takes these 12 stones and he stacks these 12 stones and puts them in place. The reason he does that is to remember the God who interacted with his people the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Israel. And each stone represents a tribe. And then he's going to build this altar on top of what God has already done. Do you see the symbolism there? That he's building on what God has already done. And he's going to make this offering to the one true God. The one true God. And so that's what he does. And then he calls out to the Lord. Lord. He has no doubt that he is one. He has no doubt that he is supreme. He says, Lord, so that the people will know. That they will know that you are the Lord. So that they will know that I'm your prophet. Would you accept this offering? And God with fire consumes the offering and everything there. It's this wonderful, amazing story. Yeah, don't forget the fire, guys. (laughs) It's a wonderful, amazing story, a true story. And I hope that one day you're able to go to Mount Carmel in Israel and stand in that place. There's really only, only one place on the mountain that this could have happened. And you get to stand there within 100 feet of where the fire of God comes down. It's amazing. It's electrifying, I'll just tell you. That's where we're at. And so what I'd like to do is take a little bit of time and look at some of the words of Elijah. I want to remember Baal and who he is and how Baal even applies to us today. I want to talk about God, Yahweh, and how he applies to us today. I want to talk about God's people and how God's people apply to us today. And I want to make sure that we are holding on to the gospel of Jesus Christ as we move forward. Are you ready for that? Would you be willing to receive that today? Will you walk with me through this? Hello? Let's do it. Alright. Well, here we go. This is going to start in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21. If you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to get it out. Get a pen. And I'm going to have you underline at least one word in this Uh, In this uh, verse. This is what it says. Elijah came near to all the people. Let me pause there. Do you remember what Elijah means? The Lord is my God. That's what the name Elijah means. The Lord is my God. That's important because everyone else is worshiping this Baal who seems to be taking care of them. Or at least they think he is. Or maybe Asherah or maybe Yahweh and Asherah or maybe Baal and Asherah. They're trying all kinds of different things but Elijah's name invokes this reality, this strong statement of there is one God and he's mine. And he said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? Underline limping if you have your Bibles out. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. That word limping that I had you underline is a very important word. It's rarely used, only seven times in the entire Old Testament. It's used to talk about um, uh, Jonathan's son. So Jonathan was a friend of David, Saul's, uh, Saul's son. So Saul's, King Saul's grandson is who this word is used for, and it means to limp. So he has a problem with his feet. He can't walk very well, and this word is used to talk about his problem, his limping. There's another time one of the prophets uses it, and it's this idea that God is like like a, uh, like a bird flying over uh, the people of Israel. And then it's used two times in this passage, Once here, the second time, talking about the prophets of Baal limping around their altar. But then it's used three times. The first three times it's used is in Exodus chapter 12. Why is that important? Because in Exodus chapter 12 talks about the Passover. It's where the children of Israel put uh, lamb's blood on their doorposts so that the angel of the Lord will pass over and not take the firstborn. It's very important that they apply this blood to their door frames so that the angel will pass over. That's this word, Passover, Pesach, Passover. It's possible that uh, Elijah is using a, uh, a teaching tool that is very popular a little bit later on in Jewish history called Remez. Kids, would you help me out? Say that word, Remez. Remez, yeah, good. It means hint. It could be that Elijah is giving them a hint when he says Passover, Pesach. How long will you, Pesach? Pesach is such an odd word. Why would he use it here? Because he wants to take our minds to a certain place. Where is that certain place? That is in this place where they were slaves. Who were they slaves to? The Egyptians. And these Egyptians had all kinds of gods. And they made their, peop- they made their slaves worship those gods at times. And he says... I want to take your brain to that place. I want you to remember. And what I want you to remember is how God with a mighty hand took you out of that place and into the promised land, a place flowing with milk and honey. I want you to remember that this God separated you from that. And here in this place, you're no longer going to go from side to side, from opinion to opinion. You're going to remember the Lord our God. It's a hint. It's Ramez. And he teaches it in this moment. So let's talk about Baal. Let's remember Baal. This is important. Baal is the god of fertility. And so mostly that means the ground. That the ground is fertile. That they can plant crops and they'll grow. Fruit and vegetables will grow very nicely in this region. And the god that's associated with it is Baal. Baal, the god of fertility. He's also the god of rain and dew. The one that sends the rain. And so this moment in Israeli history where there is no rain, it seems like Baal is absent. There's something else going on and we'll talk about that in a few moments. But it seems like Baal is absent. He is not present. But what they learn is that Baal doesn't have that power. Baal, by the way, means lord or master. So... Let's use that phrase, master. You and I probably wouldn't be drawn to worship an idol called Baal. (laughs) It wouldn't appeal to us culturally. It wouldn't make sense to us. However, let me suggest that many people worship Baal in the United States. This master. So what did they like about Baal in this Canaanite area? What they liked about him is that they thought he was providing them Substance, that they were getting full and wealthy and good. That was their master who would do that. So here's the question. Who is our master? Is there somebody, something, something that takes our eyes off of God, being our provider, our caretaker, and puts it on something else? Maybe it's, I really get fulfillment when I play video games or when I uh, play sports, or when I watch sports, or when I get paid, or I want to get more money. What, what is there in our lives that could be a master, could be a bail to us, that would cause us to stop looking at the Lord and start looking at bail? What is that thing? I want to challenge us to pause there in our brains and think about that, because as we remember what happened in this with this Canaanite God in ancient Israel still happens today. And we don't want to be guilty of that. So some ways that we can tell, some ways that we can tell that perhaps we are worshiping a Baal, a master that's different than Yahweh. One of those is what do we spend our time doing? That may identify who a Baal is, who a master is in our lives. What do we spend time doing? Not necessarily, though. There's another one. What am I willing to do to get what I want? Am I willing to hurt somebody emotionally, physically, spiritually to get what I want? If we are willing to hurt someone emotionally, physically, or spiritually, then that's an identifier that there may be a master working in our lives that's different than Yahweh. Additionally, what am I willing to lie about to get? What am I willing to lie? Well, it's not really lying. I'm just not telling the whole truth. Yeah, that's called a lie. That's a lie. If we're not telling the whole truth, it's a lie. So, so what are we willing to lie about to get what we want? Maybe it's, maybe it's a, for, for kids. Maybe it's I don't want to be disciplined, so I'm going to lie about a situation. I want to be comfortable, I want to be happy, I don't want to be corrected. Maybe as an adult, it's lying about something to get a promotion or to look good in a situation. Or, what is it? What are we willing to lie about? Those are identifiers or help us, those are tools we can use to help us identify if there is a master that is taking our attention off of Yahweh and on to something else. So let's talk now about Yahweh. Let's talk about him for a moment. I, you'll see up there, I didn't write out Yahweh, I used the four letters in English that's associated with the four letters in Hebrew of God's name, his covenant name, the name that he used when he spoke to Moses, tell them I am sent you. It's this one, it's this name. Four letters, how would you pronounce that? Well, we often say Yahweh, Right? That makes sense. It means self-existing one, all-powerful one, kind of has that flavor to it. Could, could, but it could be pronounced a lot of ways because we don't have vowel points in Hebrew that would point us to the, the actual pronunciation. So we're guessing a little bit. We're guessing at Yahweh. However, in recent days, there's been some work done that has identified some roots of this name. And it's come from both uh, Jewish and Christian literature. And I think it's interesting. uh, And I want to share it with you. And it comes with the form of breathing. They They said this way. Perhaps the closest we can come to saying God's covenant name is breathing. Like this. It's the first breath that we take. And it's the last breath that we give. And all that's in between. Where does it go? Does it go to Yahweh or to Baal? The children of Israel were reminded consistently to keep their eyes focused on Yahweh. Don't, don't move from him, this provider, this caregiver, this one who loves us. Deuteronomy 6.4 is the Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It doesn't just mean that within himself he's united, though that is true. It is also an identifier that he is above all and he is in all. What do I mean by in all? I mean that he is the God of fertility. He is also... The God of the rain, and he's the God of the sun, and he's the God of the travel, and he's the God of the good times, and he's the God in the bad times, and he is God, period. He's God. That's what I mean when I say one. And that's exactly what Elijah is trying to tell them. And keep in mind, I, I love this about God. You know, usually when we hear the word jealous, we think of it in bad terms, but jealous is also associated with God and his very character, who he is. Exodus thirty-four, fourteen, and this is uh, uh, um, Moses and God uh, and their story, how it interacts, and God is telling Moses um, this, this message and what to tell Israel, and he says this, for you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. In, in case you miss out, I'm actually jealous. I'm not okay with you loving other gods. I'm not okay. Here's why. I'm the life giver. No one else can give you life. I love you and I care for you and I want to give you life and you can't get it anywhere else but from me and here I am, I'm jealous for you and if I see you starting to move over here I'm going to do something about it because I'm jealous for you and I love you and I would suggest that if you would be willing to look at your past and your history if you'd be willing to remember what God has done in your life you may see this jealous God speaking into your world. It's like this I've done a lot of weddings and this has never happened. I've never got to the vows, gone through the vows. And at the end of the vows, one of them say something like this. And I will do everything that I've just said, except for on Fridays. Fridays, I might date someone else. Uh, I might not care for you if you're not wealthy. I might not care for you if you're sick. Fridays, I'm out. Like, They'd get punched in the face. That would not be a good thing if they tried that. And God is the same way. He's not saying, You know, you came to me for salvation, and now you're going to try to find it over here with another master? It's not going to work. That's not how this works. Don't forget, this God is a jealous God because He is one. He is above all and in all and a life giver. That's our God. Continuing on, in this narrative, Elijah stops and he prays. And he prays this prayer. I love it. I'll build up to it. It's starting in verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, we could get into a lot of things here. I'm just going to identify the root of the word oblation here. means to come near. So here is this picture of Elijah has set everything up. He's ready for the sacrifice. And the idea is that we are coming near God. We are going to experience, we are doing this exclusively and specifically to meet God at this time. God, I want you. I need you. I am reaching out to you. I am offering this to you to be near you. I'm sorry for going from Baal or the time I've spent with Baal, and I want to know you. And then Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. So let's remember the people of God. What about the people of God? What about them? Well, this this is a great illustration of some general principles of the people of God. And it starts this way. They remember how God worked in their family. Remember how he built the altar with the stones? I'm remembering these 12 tribes, these 12 tribes that came from Israel, that came from Isaac, that came from Abraham. I'm remembering how God was at work, and I'm building this altar Uh, to the Lord, remembering what God has done in the family of God. One of the reasons that we come together in communion is to remember what God has done in us, sometimes in spite of us, in our family, in our church family. We remember, we remember, and we remember. Remembrance, it's a big deal. So, the question I have for you, and we'll talk about it more in a moment, is, have you taken time with your family to tell the stories, how God worked in your life, how big of a bonehead you were when you didn't listen to God at work in your life? I know, I'm the only bonehead, okay, sure. (laughs) Nathan, I am doing your review really soon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now, we've all been there. We've all messed up. We've all done stupid stuff. Tell the story. Tell the consequences of your sin. Depending, Make it age appropriate. Don't, uh, uh, don't go overboard and make that story like, uh, oh, it was really cool before I became a Christian, and then I became a Christian and everything got boring. Like, that's dumb. Uh, Don't do that. Tell the story, though. Tell the story. And then they sacrifice to Yahweh. So we see that, that Elijah goes before God and he makes a sacrifice. And it starts with talking to God. People of God talk to God. People of God talk to God. Not talk at God. God, you will. God, I demand this. Not name it, claim it. Blab it, grab it. That's not it. But they talk, God I love you, I thank you, Lord would you be willing to, Lord I'm asking, sometimes I'm begging, I'm reaching out, I need you, all of those things, they talk to God and they sacrifice and in Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 we we see that our lives are a living sacrifice to God. Our lives, that's our spiritual act of worship, is giving our lives. This is my sacrifice to you, God. It's my life. And then the end is they get rid of anything that wants them to worship something or someone else. Are there things in our lives that shouldn't be there? Whether that is uh, something that we're watching on the Internet, or movies that we watch, or music that we listen to that steer us away from God. What are those things? I'm not saying that you can't watch non Christian things. That's not what I mean. But if those things are leading us astray and putting our eyes on something that's not God, that's a problem. That's a problem. So let's talk about some faith experiments. I want to encourage, you, and by the way, if you've been engaging in these faith experiments, I want to encourage you to let us know about it. Send us an email and they're like, this is what I did, this is what happened, this is why it was cool. This is why it might not have been a great idea. You know, whatever it is, we'd love to hear, uh, love to hear about those. So here are some faith experiments that I want to encourage you with this week. One, and this is a hard one, ask someone if they see any other lords or masters in your life. Do you see where I'm putting trust in something that's not God? Would you be willing to tell me about it? I'll receive it. I won't get mad. Uh, I won't make a big deal. of it. I won't not talk to you after this. I really want to know. Would you tell me? Two, when listening to music this week, try to only listen to worship music. Try it for one week and see what happens. Just see what happens. If, I'm just going to listen to some worship music this week. Memorize scripture with a friend or family member. And then fourth, and, and I think especially this is good for us as, uh, in this family service, share as a family what you know God has done within your family. Think back generations or even with aunts and uncles, cousins, What has God been doing in your family? Share that with your family. Tell those stories. Ask your children, how have you seen God at work in our family? Have them tell the stories. It's important. It's important to remember. To remember. And maybe in remembering what God has done, it will direct us to what God is doing. And it will extend life in a way that perhaps we haven't experienced in a while. Would you join me as we pray and the worship team comes? Jesus, we love you, and we do thank you and praise you. We ask, oh Lord, that you would be exalted and that you would be lifted up. Lord, we need you. And so we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand as we remember what you have done. And so, Lord, in this place, we remember the incredible salvation that you have given us through the work of your son at the cross. We thank you, Lord, for your work at the cross that has given us life. And it's that life that we're holding on to that we want to pass on, that we want to share. And so, Lord, forgive us for those times when we have sought other gods, when we've considered other masters and not looked to you. Be exalted in this place, O Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand together as we worship.